the Lord broke my heart for the poor. And I knew we had to do something. So 12 years later, um, if you can just go from these. 12 years later, we're at a place where we want to empower people to have the entrepreneurial skills, the employability to support themselves. How do we do it? Through a biblical worldview. What do we want to achieve? We want to place spirit-filled, discipled people in the workplace who understand excellence. So, in that time, while we were searching, and my heart was now beating for the poor, I thought, okay, what's the obvious thing to do? There are no jobs, right? There are no opportunities for people. That's the problem. So we found jobs for people, lots of jobs. We found funding for people for businesses. We upskilled people, many, upskilled them, got them jobs, helped them to start businesses, walked the road with them. And we failed with every single person we tried to help. They bombed out, quit, stole the lawnmower. And we realized <laughs> through much trial, error, and failure that you cannot help people. You cannot throw resources at people and expect them to stand up and do something with it. We realized because the businesses that we started failed despite access to funds, and we couldn't just present people with opportunities. We also couldn't just get people saved and invite them to church because the opportunities were used up, the jobs were lost, the resources were squandered, or the church was filled <laughs> with broken or power-hungry people. You see, the poverty mindset which says I'm poor, I will always be poor, I cannot change, together with entitlement, give me something, leads to dependency and a lack of excellence. Those four things together are a toxic combination. What's the end result? People who sit at home, hopeless, waiting for someone to do something for them. Or give them something to change their lives. It's got so bad when we work in um, Nairobi, when we first started in Nairobi in Kenya, when we wanted to help the unemployed, they said, well, what are you going to pay us to come and sit and listen to you? So what did we learn along the way? What did we learn along the way? Well, first we, we, we learned that we have to deal with mental poverty first, the poverty mindset first, before we deal with the physical poverty. So what did we learn is this mental poverty? The mental poverty, I'm poor, I'll always be poor, I can't change. Ladies and gentlemen, I've had a poverty mindset. Okay, I've had a poverty mindset. I can't do it. Poverty mindset is I can't do it. That's a poverty mindset. I've had that in my life. I was a successful business person, sold my business, stayed at home for eight years to raise my children. And I, my husband said to me, well, you know, what's next? And I was like, well, I don't know. I, I don't think I can do anything. Okay. What is the poverty mindset? I'm owed something. Someone must make it right. I can't. I'm a victim of. Poverty is done to me by other people. 
The reason I'm struggling now, and I'm not just talking to the poorest of the poor, I'm talking to us. I'm poor because poverty was done to me. I'm a victim of. Poverty has been done to me by other people. I don't have because other people have. Stuff will make me rich. I need to wait for opportunities to come to me. That's a poverty mindset. I need to wait for opportunities. I'm not talking about resting in the Lord. I'm talking about waiting for opportunities to come to me. I'm not educated, therefore I can't. I lie from the pit of hell. There is no hope. Nothing will ever change. What is the end result of that? A major retailer, food retailer in South Africa said to us the other day, if I want, 40, if I want 20 cashiers to come to work on a Saturday morning, I have to employ 40 to get 20 to come to work. In a country with what levels of unemployment? That's not a lack of jobs, ladies and gentlemen. There are lots of jobs. There are lots of opportunities. So we also realized um, once we dealt with the mental poverty, thanks, once we dealt with the mental poverty, and once we've dealt with that poverty mindset and, and got it out of somebody's mind, effectively there's a vacuum, right? And we realized that if we don't replace that vacuum with the gospel, you've got an arrogant, competent people. If you go and look at the West, I'm not saying they've definitely not sorted all their problems out, but to a large extent, there's an I can attitude. Western nations, I can, right? They've dealt with a poverty mindset. I'm not saying there's no poverty, but they've dealt with it. But it's not been replaced with the gospel. And what's the consequence? Arrogant, competent. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't want to go there. They say we follow the United States by 10 years. We don't want to go there. We are heading in that direction. Who's responsible for making sure that the poverty mindset is dealt with? The church. Who is responsible for making sure that once the poverty mindset has been dealt with, that it's replaced with the gospel? The church. You and I. How do we do that? Through a biblical worldview. Through our experience. We found out that if we did not build a biblical worldview into what we are doing, we can give people jobs, we can do, we can help them with a bleeding heart. It will not stand. A biblical worldview, the truth of the gospel. We started, started taking this biblical worldview. We started building it into our program, teaching people how to live, teaching people how to manage their money, teaching people how to work, teaching people when the employer comes to you and he spits in your face, he's so angry with you, how to honor him. Because God says, honor your boss and you will be honored. Care for your orchard and you'll enjoy its fruit. Teaching people how to handle their employees, how to work with their employees. Teaching people how to be professional in the workplace. Teaching people how to manage their money against impulse buying. Teaching people how to save. Teaching people how to build a career, not just get a job. And all of a sudden, when we started helping people with a program in their homes, in their pockets. I'm sorry, if you can just go back. A, a step there. Um, two, two back. I'm teaching people that if we're not helping people, um, actually helping people in their pockets, in their homes, and in their families, getting people to change themselves, not us changing them. And all of a sudden, when we started doing this, we, 
helping them in a practical and tangible way, we started seeing a change in their physical poverty. So what is our solution? Our solution, yes, we want to get people economically active through a biblical worldview. At our centers, we've got about 50 centers around South Africa and Africa and beyond. What do we, every two weeks, we've got 30, 40 young people waiting for the next program. We ask them, how did you know, why are you here? They say, I'm here because my cousin was here, she's working. My brother was here, he's working. My sister was here, she started a business. So what is our model? Um, our model is the students come to us, and you can see through word of mouth. The students come to a center, we establish a center in a city or a town. Uh, we came to, to George at the end of last year in December. Uh, we've started two little centers in George at the moment. And um, students come to us through word of mouth. They hear about what we're doing. They hear about the jobs. And they come through the program, Work for a Living, which for us is the gold, because that's where the transformation happens. We deal with the poverty mindset. We teach them excellence, how to be excellent, how to make yourself so valuable to an employer that he does not want you to go that good. We teach them to serve in the workplace, to be professional, etc. And we present the gospel. On day 11 or 12 of our program, we actually present the gospel, and that is where the spirit-filled um, and the discipleship part starts. From there, if I can say that's the tree trunk, that's the foundational program. There are four branches. Each center has got a not-for-profit employment agency. So what we do is we select the best students from those groups, and we run those classes every, two, every 12 days from January to December nonstop. In a, in a place where we start. So there's a consistent supply of really, really good people who have an outstanding work ethic. We select the best of those students, we go to the local employers and make them available to the local employers at no cost. What's the consequence? The program speaks to the problems that the employers have, therefore the employers like what, what our students, the way our students work, therefore we have lots of job opportunities, Therefore, the students keep coming. What happens in the middle? We trust that the Lord gets hold of them. The second branch, we've got a business school. We teach people entrepreneurial skills. Um, we teach them how to start a business, how to grow a business. We don't teach about business plans and capital. We say, what do you have in your hand? Make it work, start a business. And we've had uh, a number of businesses started from there. Third branch, we've got a skills program, little skills center, depending on the uh, the, the employment needs in a city or a town. Um, if it's in a city, we often teach things like cashier programs, merchandising, hospitality in this area. We've got barista academies. We've got computer skills and so on. And the fourth branch is a lot of our students actually go back to school and, um, and, and just go back to school. And we've got an online program where we teach basic coding for the more advanced students. We teach um, uh, web design and things like that. So please, ladies and gentlemen, if you're an employer here, We've got two centers that are working hard to get people ready to work. And we've had an incredible success rate already in George, where I think since we've been going early in the year, 80% of our students are all already employed. And um, that's continuing. So for us, the result must be change. It's not about a certificate. We want to see people who are hopeful. Hope. But that hope must translate into action. It's not about a certificate. People must get jobs. 
as that first guy said, it is not normal to sit at home. We tell our students, it is not normal to sit at home. Just because your neighbor is sitting at home does not mean that it is okay for you to sit at home. If you can't find a job, you have to start a business, but you need to work. What's the consequence? The majority of our students work because of a different way of thinking. I can, and I have to work. No blame. Excellent in all that I do. Self-manager, we teach our students, you're one of two things. You're either an owner or a worker. An owner says, I'm going to be excellent. A worker says, I'll just do enough to get by. We've got enough workers in our country. Understanding finance, how to grow a small business, provide for their families. We want to see generations changed. How will we see generations changed? Through the kingdom, not through the program. The program's great, but it's through the kingdom. It's the biblical principles entrenched in a program that draws people. The gospel, the mindset that sets people free, breaking the yoke of slavery according to Isaiah 58. You know that yoke, that yoke of slavery, what is that yoke of slavery? You've got two cows walking around with a yoke on their neck, connected to something in the middle, and they go round and round and round, walking in their own excrement. They just walk round and round with blinkers on them. That is the yoke of slavery. Ladies and gentlemen, we, those people need to be set free. Isaiah 58, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and tie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? If people are fully discipled, our view is they will work. If you're fully discipled, you will work. You won't wait. You'll start a business. You'll use what the Lord has given you in your hands. If you can bake, we say, then bake. If you can cook, then you need to cook. If you've got a piece of land, grow something. It's a foreign mindset in our nation. We recently had a lady with three children. All of them had been unemployed for four years. The mom came, did our program. Gave her life to the Lord in the program. Within three weeks, she was employed. Sent her first child. Within four weeks, she was employed. Sent her other two. Within a period of about six weeks to three to two and a half months, the whole family was economically active and their lives had been transformed by the Lord. We had now in George, we had a class where we had five witch doctors in our class. And these witch doctors were all training by, by chance. Were all training to run early childhood development centers. Sadly, four walked away, didn't like what we taught, but one gave a life to the Lord. And it's now a matter of walking with her. Recently, um, our center in Nairobi shared this story with me. On day three of our program, we've, we actually give our, divide our class of 30 into groups. Let's say there's six groups of five. Um, we give them each um, we give them each 50 bucks and we say, okay, you've got till the end of the program to, it's fine, it's fine there, thanks. You, you've got till the end of the program to take that 50 bucks and duplicate it. It's just part of our program. 50 rand, you've got till now, in 10 days time, 
um, you, the, the winner, the one who makes the most profit from that 50 bucks, not only will you get your own profit, but you will keep 50% of all the other group's profit. So they hustle. They start. They work. Our record in South Africa, I think, is from that 50 rand, 2,700 rand in eight half days. So in Nairobi, we had the same thing. They gave given the equivalent of 50 bucks. The groups got together and they said, um, they were speaking in this one specific group, said, I've got a, one guy said, I've got an amazing um, way to make money. If we can buy and sell cut, does anybody know what cut is? It's sort of a, 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 a locally grown drug. He says, let's not tell the facilitators, but let's buy this stuff and sell it because in, the, in these eight days we can make money and we're going to score. So they started doing this. But unfortunately, the guy whose idea it was originally, after a couple of days of making a lot of money, took the money and ran away with it. The rest of the group, obviously, furious. Furious, tried to find him, couldn't find him. Went to his home, started speaking to, went to his family, said, we want your son, we want your son to pay us back. And if he can't pay us back, you've got to pay us back. The family said, listen, get lost. So they were angry, really, really angry. On day 11 of the program, we present the gospel. And as the, the, the pastor was speaking, and he started actually speaking about mercy. This guy, now the pastor and the facilitators have got no clue what's going on. This guy starts weeping, but uncontrollably, noisy. And the facilitator goes to him and says, listen, man, you know, we know each other, but what's, what's going on? And out pours the story of how they were selling the drugs, making the drugs. The guy ran away. They tried to get it back. And he says, this afternoon, I was going to the home of that cut seller. And we were going to kidnap his baby brother. And we were going to hold him to ransom until they paid us back. And you spoke today about mercy. And he gave his life to the Lord there and then. And a whole future is changed because of the Lord working in somebody's life. So we started seeing impact. Thank you. Um, today we have a model where we have about 4,500 people coming through our program in a year. Our centers are growing by at least 15 centers a year. Um, it's great. We've had... Um, almost over 3,000 now of which are employed that we know of, but we know significantly more of them are employed because we can't get hold of them and they've taken themselves off any sort of job-seeking database. 240 businesses started, 2,600 odd been upskilled, and of course we're very excited that 2,000 um, of those students that came in unemployed, hopeless, gave their lives to Jesus. And the numbers are grow growing exponentially. People come tell others and they keep coming. So if one looks at that last statistic, of the 2,000 people giving their lives to the Lord. I mean, that's great. And we were initially very excited about that. Until the Lord said to us, look, um, I didn't call you to get people saved. It's not what my word says. My word says, Matthew 28, go out and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them all I've taught you. 
And he said to us, I didn't tell you to go and plant churches. I could have said there, go out and plant churches. Go out and get people saved. I didn't say that. I said, go out and make disciples. Here we have 2,000 people giving their lives to the Lord. What do we do with them? So we started going to the local centers, the churches where we partner, who we partner with. And he said, well, you know, we've given these people their, their lives, the people have given their lives to the Lord. You know, are you discipling them? And they were like, yeah, we're discipling them. I said, okay, what are you doing? They said, no, we're inviting them to church. I said, but, okay, what else? They said, no, we, we send them an SMS and invite them to church. I said, okay, what else are you doing? He says, no, we put them through a discipleship course. I said, okay, but something's not right. Something's not right. In fact, we had some churches, there was a lot of churches coming to us and saying, well, what do you mean by discipleship? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm not the pastor. You're the pastor. You're supposed to know. And we realized, but there's something wrong, very, very wrong with this focus. So we thought, okay, well, a good place to start would be um, to actually go back to the Bible and see what does the Lord say of what discipleship is. And we read John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Not a course that you love one another. Can it be that simple? We are a disciple if we love one another. And I'm not talking loving each other. Who's the, who, who are the people that we need to love, according to the story of the Good Samaritan? Anybody who's in need. We are a disciple, ladies and gentlemen, if we love each other. If we're not loving people, I'm not talking just loving when they come past us. Loving is a doing word, right? It's an action. If we are not loving people, this spoke to me. Ina, if you are not loving people, are you my disciple? No, I'm not your disciple. And I was not. Amazing stuff we're doing. Bringing people, getting jobs. Amazing, changing people's lives. And the Lord says, but if you don't love people, you are not my disciple. So we started journeying with this thing, and we developed something called discipline of love. And we said, okay, let's go, and let's go back to basics. We said, okay, what's the great commandment? Love God, love your neighbor, right? Love God. Most important things right now. Love God, love your neighbor. John 14, 15 says what? If you love me, love God, so the top part, if you love me, God, you will obey me. So what's the most important thing? Actually, the irreducible minimum of the gospel. Love your neighbor. We started teaching our students this. On day two, they come in there, they don't even know who Jesus is. Some of, them, some of them never even heard of Jesus. Many of them have, many of them in church, but not disciples. So day two, we start saying to them, okay, go out there, start serving your neighbor. Start, we we talk, call it the Ubuntu challenge. Start helping. Let's bring this thing back. We don't tell them why. We just say, go and serve your neighbor. They come back with the most incredible stories, the most incredible stories. And on the last day, we say to them, Okay, 
we want to we just actually tell you what you have been doing. And we share this little drawing with us. No, it's the previous one, please. Love God, love your neighbor. Did you know that? We ask them, what's the most important commandment? They say, a lot, oh well, interesting things come out. <laughs> but love God, love your neighbor. We share them. If you love me, you will obey me. And we say to them, what you've been doing for the last two weeks, by serving your neighbor, cleaning up for people, washing up for your neighbor, going shopping for the poor, working in, 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 a, in a home for the disabled. What you've been doing in the last two weeks is you have been delighting God. You have been delighting God more than the pastor who has a thousand people in his church, but he doesn't care for his neighbor. You have been delighting God more than the man who gives thousands, but he does not love his neighbor. And the tears start to fall. Can that be me? I don't, even, I don't even know God. Have I delighted God? Yes, you have. If you're loving your neighbor, you're delighting God whether you know it or not. In other words, what we're trying to do is we're trying to disciple our students before they even know who Jesus is. We're trying to teach them to live his way before they even know who Jesus is. But as they do what he wants, we start seeing lives transformed in a very short period of time. If we can get people to love each other, ladies and gentlemen, we are discipling them. Where does it start? With us loving our neighbor. What do we need to get a nation transformed? Get people to live the way he wants us to live. We've got students students giving their clothes to orphanages. We've got students going and cleaning schools. We've got students coming back to the center and teaching others how to speak English. We've got the most incredible stories of what people are doing when that thing of love grabs their heart and they start intentionally daily loving, their peop loving people, loving their families. We've got people phoning their fathers, their mothers, their children saying, I'm so sorry. I love you. And, and sitting there and saying, this is not me. Who have I become? Because of the irreducible minimum of the gospel, which is to love your neighbor. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Acts 2.47 says, and people liked what they saw, and the Lord added to their numbers. How do we change a nation? By people liking what they see in us. The church needs to be look the church needs to look like something that people like if we want to do things according to what the word says. People liked what they saw and the Lord added to their numbers. No one can deny being loved. Isn't that an amazing thing? No one can deny that it feels good to be loved. And we need to be intentional about this. We had a story just a little while ago um, in Nairobi. Um, if, I could, if you can just have a look at that for a, a second. Um, there's a, there's, a, there's a slum in Nairobi called Kibera. I don't know if anybody been to Kibera. Um, it, it's the biggest slum in Africa. It's, it's, uh, it's the biggest slum in Africa. It's 2.5 square kilometers. With 270,000 people living in 2.5 square kilometers. So we were at a center going there. One of our facilitators from there is working in that center. And on day two, they said to these slum dwellers who are in our class, 
In fact, if I may just tell you, there were 40, 49 students, 36 of whom now employed, but that's besides the point because that will naturally happen. On day two, we said to them, go and serve your neighbor. Those women working there, if you look where the bucket is at the back there, that bucket is the door of an orphanage of physically disabled children. Okay? Those women there are our students. In front there where they work in, it's the drain where that orphanage throws all its waste. And those slum dwellers, the students, are cleaning that drain. Well, wouldn't you have 36 out of 40-something people working when you've got that? People liked what they saw, and the Lord added to their numbers. How clever is God? What do we need to get a nation transformed? Get people to live the way God wants them to live. By loving intentionally. How do we change George, your city? By loving intentionally. Going out there, loving your neighbor. Loving community, the suburb, the city that you are in. People can't deny who you are and who Christ is in you if you love them because they say, why do you do it? We have to start there. So where are we? We've got a couple of centers um, across the world. We've got about 45 or 50 centers. We're in a whole lot of different countries. And we, the Lord has given us a tool and the tool works to, to set people free. So what do we want to do? We want to take this thing and we want to grow it as fast as the Lord allows us to grow. How are we going to grow it? Thank you. We want to work for a living center in every city, in every village, and every town, wherever there is poverty or need. Is that an impossible dream? It's a completely and utterly, completely impossible dream. But we serve a God who outdreams us completely. No matter what we dream, he has got bigger plans. And if I don't do it, someone else is going to do it. But, ladies and gentlemen, today what, I've, what we've actually done is we've sort of I've shared my story shared my story of what the Lord has done through me. And, it, and you know, I look at it and I, I can look at it from a, a distance and say, wow, this is great. Because it's great. It's an awesome story. What a great thing to be part of. I'm delighted. I'm delighted that the Lord has given me the opportunity to do this because I haven't done it. I know that. Without a, you don't know me, okay? But I know I haven't done it. I know that the Lord has facilitated everything. So, that is my story. And I want to read to you Romans 15, 18. I have no interest in giving you a chatty account of my adventures. Only the wonder, wondrously powerful and transformingly present words and deeds of Christ in me that triggered a believing re response among the outsiders. That changed my life. In fact... All I will talk about is how Christ let me speak and work so that the outsiders would become insiders or the Gentiles would obey him. That is my story. 
Did we plan this? No, we wanted to help a couple of people in Warmer Township outside of Port Elizabeth. That's how we started 12 years ago. And the Lord's taken it and grown it, and it's amazing. We're delighted. But I'm going to spend the rest of my life telling the story of what Christ has done through me, because we haven't started. And I want to ask you today, ladies and gentlemen, what is your story? Because you have a story, and you will have a story. You will have a story. All of us are going to stand before the Lord one day, and he's going to say to you, what have you done with the land that I've given you? What have you done? What have you done with what I've put in front of you? What have you done with it? Run with it. Don't waste your time. I'm not saying you've got to drop any, everything. Maybe you do. But that's not the point. The point is, what is the Lord stirring in your heart? What makes your heart beat? Run with it. Start. If you've got nothing in your mind, start with intentionally loving your neighbor. Yes, the neighbor that you don't like because his tree grows over your fence, that one. Love that neighbor intentionally so that he looks at you and says, who are you? I don't understand you. God steers a moving ship, I've learned. Someone said that to me many years ago. But God also rewards faithfulness. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ's light will shine on you. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Can one change a nation? Yes, by God's